I know you recognize this one. Let's stand and sing it. The Splendor of the King. The Splendor of the King. Lord in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide and tremble at his voice. Lord, you deserve it all, and we want to come before you and give you all that we have. Someone has said that worship is giving all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. And Lord, we pray that we would do that just now in this next uh, moments you've given us. Lord, we come before you and give you uh, in, in your name for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you'd be seated, please. Um, Okay, a little bit more of a lengthy uh, welcome than normal, so I'll try to be quick, and you listen quick, okay? So our uh, connection card, uh, please refer to that, fill that out. As you know, first-time guest, we'd love to know who you are. Uh, the rest of us, there's opportunity for prayer requests and so forth. You can follow the, 
the front and back. You guys are smart. Okay, and uh, the second thing we want you to know about is tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having the Lord's Supper. And again, this is a, a, a whole church body thing. We want you all to come back and be a part of that. Um, and, uh, and another reason you'll want to be a part of that as well, we'll mention in just a minute. Um, the... Uh, the next thing is we're kicking off Back to Bethlehem meeting. So after the Lord's Supper, we'll have our Back to Bethlehem kickoff meeting, uh, and we would love to uh, have everybody be a part of that. Uh, it really takes a church-wide effort, so come. It's just going to be about a 15-minute meeting, and we'll tell you uh, some of the high points that you need to know. Um, if you would go to our church page, you know what, it doesn't look like this anymore, I apologize, but up in the top there where it says sermons and latest updates, you'll see Bethlehem. If you check that, you'll have a chance to sign up as an actor. Uh, so if you can do that today and, and give us 20 or 30 more uh, people, and by the way, that doesn't mean you're signing in blood, it just means I'm interested, okay? So yeah, it really means you're signing in blood. But anyway, <laughs> so, so please, please uh, fill that out and that'll give us a chance to sort of know who's, who's interested before the meeting tonight. And of course you can, you know, fill that in two or three you know weeks from now as well but we'd love to know sooner rather than later okay and then lastly but not least is the uh, remodel uh, offering today and you'll find this white envelope it says remodel special offering uh, we're going to take a special offering at the end of the service actual pass the plates and if you would please put that offering in this special offering envelope so there is no doubt to the counting committee that it truly is a you know, remodel offering, uh, offering. Okay, so please do that for us, and uh, and then we'll give our regular ties and offerings as we normally do on our way out. There'll be plates that you can put those offerings in. Okay, so we'll remind you of that a little bit later. But please, oh, oh and the other reason you'll want to come back tonight, we will announce uh, what that total is. the The county committee has made a special uh, commitment to come in today and count. And so we will be able to tell you what that count is uh, tonight. And we can all celebrate together what God has done. So be a, be a part of that. Huh? Yeah, before the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Before the Lord's Supper, we'll, we'll announce that. All right. Um, today's text refers to the mystery of the gospel. And this great Getty song reminds us of that. Um, you know, isn't, isn't it funny? The gospel is something so simple. A four- or five-year-old can grasp it and come to the knowledge and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's so also so complex that 80- and 90-year-old theologians are speechless on how to explain certain things. And, and this is so such a great song that reminds us of that. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who Descended, took on flesh to ransom us. 
mystery and of course we're referring to the person and work of Jesus and so we're going to sing a song titled Jesus and I've got to say this last time we sang this song we got to the chorus the chorus is sort of awkward to sing it, it, it says Messiah our Savior well there's about 50 of you that just blurted out my Savior at the wrong time you know what that said to me you were more concerned about worship than you were about what your neighbor thought of you. That's where we ought to, all ought to be all the time. Amen? Let's sing it together. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind There is a name I call in times of trouble. 
continue standing for the reading of God's word. share with you out of Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I love Hebrews um, because it talks so much over and over about the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and which is an awesome introduction to the song that the choir is about to lead us in. Uh, chapter 19 it says, and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the, the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting for our, our, um, oh, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering then to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen. Sing it together. There to my heart was the blood far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul, for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the
darkness into glorious light. Glory to
bow our heads and make this our prayer. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Amen. Well, good morning. It was all I could do to remain still and not want to preach right after the special. I appreciate Miss Cammie and David. Uh, They went off this week to a sing conference and they were ministered to by great preachers of the word and also learned, I'm sure, about music and worship. And you, you need to understand that it's not only what is led here on a Sunday morning, but Brother David and Miss Cammie believe that all of life is worship. And so uh, we worship most and accurately when we are worshiping through the Word of God. It's that vitally important for us. So to God be the glory. Well, are you excited that we're entering chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians? So the indicative section of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, will end after chapter 3 and we'll hit a lot of Really good application for our church as well. The indicatives of all that God has done will move to what are we going to do? How are we going to live it out? And in chapter 4 we'll see that. So let's look at the text today. We're going to do chapter 3, 1 through 7. And this morning we're only going to hit a little bit of it. Okay, and finish it up next week down through verse 7. So listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason I, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift. Check this out. Of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now, when you think about the word stewardship, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Yes, Jim Metcalf went like this. Money, right? We think about that responsibility to, in fact, be a good steward of our finances and money. But I want you to think... In different terms today, yes, you are a steward of finances. We can look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required. Y'all ready for this? In stewards 
that one be found faithful. That's a requirement. That a steward is found faithful. And that context is also the mysteries of our God as given to us in the Word of God. But we could extend that and we could say surely there is a, uh, there's a wide range of what it means to be a steward to the Lord, which is a requirement, uh, and you're required to be faithful in that realm. So we could talk about treasure, we could talk about talents, we could talk about the thrust of your life, we could talk about the temple, the Holy Spirit indwells, <coughs> which is your body. How are you doing as a steward of your body? Is that a good sermon for us to preach this morning? Right? How are we taking care of the holiest place in all the world, which is right there inside of you? Because that's where the Lord God Almighty dwells, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So, we could think about all those things, okay? But in chapter 3, Paul proclaims that the fulfillment of this ministry, of God's saving plan, that God himself has commissioned Paul as a steward of this oikonomia plan. Big word, administration, that's the Greek word here. This particular plan, this household dynamic that God Almighty has as a plan, Paul is made a steward of that particular plan. So we learn that God's sovereignty is expressed in the unfolding of his comprehensive design for creation. Daniel would remind us in the book of Daniel that human kingdoms will come and go. And... uh, God is in the midst of unfolding a kingdom that shall never end in the midst of all these kingdoms that are coming and going. I'm starting to believe that our kingdom in the U.S. is going to go faster than we thought. Right? And it will eventually be gone. But here's the deal. Our God does not stand off aloof from his creation. God Almighty is working. He's intervening. intervening, And the number one way he intervenes is marvelous is through a marvelous saving purpose. That's how he intervenes. Jesus Christ, of course, is the apex of God's plan. Christ himself really is the mystery. Clinton Arnold, the commentator, says it well. Jesus Christ is the basis, the means, the goal, and the incorporational center of all that the one true God of Israel has set out to accomplish. That's Jesus Christ. So there's no question. That Paul, Paul was so sound in his theology, wasn't he? But, he? but he also allowed that theology to move him to praise. And then that praise often led to praying. So this is what is actually happening in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I. Did y'all know that that was an introductory phrase? Paul is getting ready to pray. For this reason, I. So Paul was consumed with the glory of Christ as it comes to us in the gospel. And we should be too. We ought to be consumed. When we sing a song like, can we just let us in? We ought to be consumed with the glory of God in the gospel. Not just for you, but for those who have not yet heard. We need to be consumed with the glory of the gospel. So after rehearsing our depraved state, chapter 2, 1 through 3, After talking about our alienated state, chapter 2, 11 through 12, Paul now introduces this glorious new status that we have with those words, but now. And then we looked at who we are in Christ now, right? 
We are the people of God. We are the house of God. We're the temple of the living God. And this brings us to chapter 3. And as we enter this chapter, please note, it begins for this reason. Why? It indicates that Paul is still captivated and reveling in this glorious thought of the Gentiles' new status as the temple of God. So again, the reality of this great truth moves Paul to praise and to prayer. And this begins the prayer. But notice the pickup doesn't actually pick up till verse 14. Isn't this awesome? For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Looks like he's about to go forward into a prayer. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So the pickup of the prayer doesn't actually start to verse 14. There are a lot of scholars who recognize that this is what they call a digression. Any of you ever done this before? Let's just call it a sidetrack. Anybody ever get sidetracked in here? You start to talk about things and all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, you come back to center of what you started with. Anakaluthon. You ever heard of that phrase? That's a literary device that explains what I just said. That's a sidetrack. Anakaluthon. If you've ever, if you're familiar with literature, right? You start off with this principle, you move away for a little bit with a sidetrack, and you come back to it. Well, here's the thing. Paul says in verse 14, uh, this is the NLT. When I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father. This plan from God, for this reason, and he's about to enter into a prayer for the Gentiles, and we might say Paul gets divinely sidetracked. Because there's a difference in you getting sidetracked and Paul getting sidetracked when the Holy Spirit of God is leading him to write what he wrote. So this we might call a divine sidetrack. We might call this an inspired rabbit trail. Right? Anybody ever went off on a rabbit trail? You say, preacher, you do it all the time. Well, I hope I don't do that all the time. But the difference is Paul is on that, an inspired rabbit trail. Verse 1 is the intro to the prayer. And verses 2 through 13 is this inspired rabbit trail where he's going to talk about the call of God upon his life, which we would call apostolic ministry call. And then he's going to talk about this incredible revelation of the mystery of Christ. In Romans, he calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul explains for us that God has given him the ministry of proclaiming and explaining a marvelous plan. Now, how do we fit into that? How do young people, older people, everybody in between, if Paul was given this particular stewardship to proclaim and explain a divine plan, where does that leave us as a church? Do we have a responsibility? So this is the eternal plan of God that involves God creating a people for himself, consisting of Jews and Gentiles, united in together in Christ. Remember that in Christ formula? In Christ. But not only in Christ, but to one another. We're united to one another. So all this morning who have saving faith in Christ Jesus are part of this new community, no matter what your nationality is. Amen? All right, you ready for the text? Here we go. First, the mystery of Christ is a stewardship of the grace of God. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship 
of God's grace that was given to me for you. So this mystery of Christ that you're going to find in verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Down in verse 4. This mystery of Christ was given to Paul as a responsibility to preach this particular gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. Again, he calls it a stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Moreover, it is required of a steward to be found faithful. And so he gives us this particular term, which means a manager of a household. It was often associated with a trusted slave that was put in charge of the whole household. And folks, the emphasis is upon one who's been entrusted with a great responsibility and accountability to this incredible, invincible plan of God that he would save both Jews and Greeks. It's nothing short of the gospel plan, right? So this is best rendered stewardship, which is of the grace of God. So, did you know that this word stewardship has already been used in our study of Ephesians? You know where it is? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Check this out. As a plan. Listen to verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this word, when it's used in chapter 10, uh, chapter 1 verse 10, is the terminology of a comprehensive plan of God in connection with the revelation of the mystery of his will. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, again, if, if you feel like this is over your head, get your head up. Right? you got to think with me, okay? This is vitally important. So this oikonomia, same oiko, house, law, namas, this law-giving God, this house-managing God has an administrative plan that he's putting forth. That's what that means. God is the household manager. He's the one who is over the household. So the verse says that he should administer. Uh, the pro, the, he, the subject, is implied in, in Ephesians 1.10. God is administering a plan, an arrangement, an order. So the context to the planning starts before the foundation of the world. Y'all see this in Ephesians 1.4? He knew you in him, he chose you in him when? Before the foundation of the world. This has to do with the saving, administering plan of God to save a household unto himself. It's an administrative plan of God. So, God thus designed a plan for the redemption of the world. And he did so before the foundation of the world. And now Paul knows that he is an administrator. He is a household manager of this massive redemptive plan. So God. So this term household or stewardship was used in the Greco-Roman world because it related to foundational principles of society. Every household which included extended family, slaves, were overseen by a household manager. Jesus gave five different uh, parables portraying God as a household manager. Did y'all know this? 
He's, he's called a steward. Matthew 13, 27. Matthew 20, verse 1 and verse 11. Luke 13, 25. And Luke 14, 21. But in this passage, I'm referring to Ephesians 1, 10. God is seen as the manager of a household with the focus on his household. Listen to me. God's plan is global. And it is invincible. This is my belief, 100%. Why? Because the Word of God says it is invincible. Right? Why? Because look at chapter, again, chapter 1. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And ladies and gentlemen, this is nothing short of the redemptive saving purpose of God to redeem a people for himself. That's exactly what this means in the context of Ephesians chapter 1. So, the term gives us expression to a metaphor of our God as a divine householder who has a plan for the household that includes heaven and earth. And at the center of this plan is God's intent to create a, spirit, a special household of people that will actually form a home that our God indwells. Saw that last week. Both Jews and Gentiles. So stop and consider the amount of household imagery that we have already encountered in this text. When you just think of your status. Household of God. Built upon a solid foundation. God building us together. And now we are a home for our God. Are y'all tracking with me? And I'll start over if you say no. Right? You've learned me enough. So please hear this. The mystery of Christ is the stewardship of the grace of God. It's the stewardship of the grace of God. It was first given for sure to Paul. And Paul held a position you'll never hold. But folks, you're also a steward. Of God's grace. What are you doing with this plan that God has to save sinners? Are you closed mouth on it? Does it come to your mind at all in a day's time that you yourself are a household manager of an administrative plan that's way bigger than you are? Do, do we even think about that? Okay, subpoints. Let's build this. This stewardship was according to God's divine plan. The Lord God bestowed upon Paul this responsibility. He's a household manager of a given estate, of proclaiming and explaining this amazing message concerning Jesus. But it's also a stewardship of grace. Notice how Paul describes this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I'm turning fast, so you better be fast if you're going to get it. Or write it down, Acts 20. Verse 24, listen to how Paul explains it. But I do not account my life of any value. And that, that enough alone, just stop right there. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. And here it is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was a person who was totally consumed. He didn't count anything else in his life more precious than the fact that God had called him to testify of this gospel of grace to people. Now, when we think of grace, the first thing we think about is God's grace toward us in saving our souls, don't we? And, and granted, that is all through the Bible. We, see, we saw it in Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. 
But here, the implication is that grace extends further than, this, than just salvation. It extends to the implications in heaven and on earth. So Paul is saying, not only is there the gift of salvation, but God also gifted me with his grace to carry out this apostleship. In other words, grace gives you the empowerment to carry out the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not only grace that saves folks, it's grace that leads you thus far. It's grace that compels us to go and share. It is grace that empowers people to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why Paul says it like he says it. This was his privilege. Again, I know I've read this to you, but I can't read it enough. Galatians 1 Verse 15, listen. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Y'all think this administrative plan is invincible? God actually set Paul apart when? Before he was born. And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. This is the way Paul sees. He sees the grace of God as the embodiment of And the proclamation of the gospel. This is what he sees. Now folks, listen. In regard to this. In regard to God's divine plan. We certainly recognize that Paul has a privilege and or responsibility and an accountability that maybe we don't have. In this special role. But folks, we can't distance ourselves from Christ's mission. No amens? We can't distance ourselves as a church to the most important thing God has called our church to do. I'm going to start over. Do y'all think? What what do y'all think the number one thing God has called our church to do? Is to be concerned with all the dynamics that involve this mysterious plan that God would save mankind. And bring in people of all nations and make us one household. Folks, we don't even have a church if that's not the case. So we can't stand aloof from this. We can't distance ourselves. We have the same call to proclaim and explain the unfolding plan of salvation to God's people. I would say to you that this passage is actually a missions passage. Is it not? Why? Because it's unfolding a plan of God to save his people. So we, we, we have in this text Gentiles which is often translated nations. We have suffering for the sake of the mission, which I'm going to preach on in just a moment. We have the administration of it by God's grace given. We have the revelation of the mystery of the plan. And we have the proclamation of that gospel at the center of the plan. That's called missions. Y'all don't seem to be as excited about this as I am. Charles Spurgeon once said this. Listen, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Oh, now you're getting it. Right? Here's what he says. You either try and spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love Christ at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation for Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Woo! We will not all serve folks in the same way. Everybody's not called of God to go to Guatemala necessarily, or to go to Peru or Vietnam or to board a plane to go to a foreign country. But you are called by God and you are responsible for proclaiming and explaining this incredible ministry, mystery, Christ himself to save sinners. 
You are called by God to do this, to testify of this plan. All right, number two, this stewardship involves suffering. Why is it that I run out of time? Because I've gone on no rabbit trail. All I've done is explain the text, right? Stewardship of suffering. What does Paul say? I, Paul, am a question. How did Paul become a prisoner? How did he become a prisoner? Um, I, I wish I could assume that you knuckleheads remember all the book of Acts when I preach through it. But I can't. So let me show you a couple of things. We're in Acts 21, just flip over there. I'm going to do it fast. Here we have a situation where Paul has completed a missionary journey. He returns to Jerusalem and he's given a report to the church. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Because as of yet, the gospel was primarily Jewish people. That's who were, getting, that's who were saved, right? It was primarily. And where was the first church centered? Jerusalem. So he's returning there. And at this time, again, most believers were Jewish but it was the birthplace of Christianity. So Paul goes to give this report. And as a general rule, there was receptivity to what Paul was saying God was doing among the Gentiles. Now he was telling Jews that God was saving Gentiles. So I, they were skeptical anyway because they hadn't read the Bible. However, one report was that Paul was, was dishing, or dissing the law of Moses. He's telling people not to circumcise their kids not to walk according to customs. And they basically say to Paul, just make this vow to us that you're not going to diss Moses anymore or the law. And so Paul says, no problem. Why? Because Paul learned something. 1 Corinthians 9, I have learned to become all things that by all means I might win some. So he knew full well, I'll be a Jew to a Jew. I'll be a Greek to a Greek. But one thing I will not compromise with, there's no salvation without Christ. Right? So Paul knew this. So he accommodates we might say these meticulous Jewish brethren. And Paul will later take a number of men into the temple. Remember that dividing line of partition? Y'all remember what that was? You shall not go past this place. And if you do, you're going to have your own self to blame for your death. And so Paul knew this. And he was, it, it was said he was told that he took them in there. Not necessarily true. But a number of the Jews were getting irritated because of Paul's ministry. And then we turn over to Acts 21, verse 27, and listen to the word. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy temple. Thus... The major suffering for the gospel begins. So the stewardship involved suffering. So Paul will, will fall under the suffering and the persecution. Why, folks? Listen, everybody with me? Because of this administrative plan of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, Paul was about to suffer. Because God had called him to this particular vocation, he was going to suffer. So... In God's providence, this time he's protected from the soldiers. But then he's taken into custody. And Paul decides to ask a Roman a magnificent question. In Acts chapter 21 verse 37. Here's the question. Do you speak Greek? Do y'all? Do you know Greek? I mean, this is what Paul says to a Roman. Why? Because it was against the law to beat 
a Roman citizen without him being tried in court and found guilty. Does Paul have some sense? Yeah, what a magnificent question. Do you speak Greek? And the guy says, man, I thought you were one of these other criminals that had done this, that, and the other. And Paul says, no, I mean, you're going to flog someone who speaks Greek. So he gets away. And then something else happens. Paul gets permission to speak. And he begins to speak in a Hebrew dialect. And he begins to defend himself before the Jews that are gathered. And then notice he's giving his testimony. And he says this in chapter 22, verse 20. Listen. Y'all listening? And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Y'all think Paul was lost before Christ? Do y'all, have y'all stopped to think about who Saul of Tarsus was before Jesus saved him and commissioned him with this plan of the gospel? And he said to me, who said to Paul? Jesus, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, I'm going to start over if you're not tracking with me in Acts. All right, are you? This is what the Lord told him to do. Now watch verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Folks, once he said the gospel should go to the Gentiles, Katie, bar the door. They couldn't stand the thoughts That God Almighty, their God, monotheistic God, right, God, their God, would save stinking Gentile dogs. And unless you haven't checked that out, that's us. Because unless you're born a Jew by blood, you're a Gentile. Okay? So, again, this is what Paul had been called to do. And then he gets in trouble. And he asks another stunning question. Is it lawful to flog a man who's a Roman citizen? And they're like... Golly, this is a Roman citizen. We can't flog this guy without a court hearing. So in Acts 23, Paul goes before the Sanhedrin. Listen to this. And looking intently at the council, Paul says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this point. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. When's the last time God, somebody smacked you in the mouth because you were testifying of Jesus? All right, listen to this. Don't you love it? Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. You whitewashed wall. I mean, Paul was such a mellow guy, wasn't he? I mean, he gets smacked in the face and he turns around and says, God's going to strike you, you wash white wall. Man, that's just some fire coming from him, isn't it? Now think about this. In this particular situation, he himself is speaking to kings and rulers. Which that's what Paul was told was going to happen. God will strike you. Take cur- All right, now look, 2311. Do you need some encouragement when you get smacked in the mouth? When you're persecuting for the cause of being persecuted? Listen to verse 11 of chapter 23. The following night the Lord stood by him. Isn't this good? And said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you're about to go to Rome, buddy. You're going to testify of me In Rome. That's what the Bible says. So, Paul, next, 2312. Y'all doing great. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they killed Paul. You ever wonder what happened to these guys? Isn't that awesome? You know, Paul's going to live at least two and a half or three more years. Were they still wandering around not eating? They look pretty rough 
they've taken this vow, they're going to kill this guy, which reminds us that you are invincible until God finishes his work in you. And, and Paul knows this. So in Acts 24, Paul is taken before Felix, the governor. Is, is not this what Christ told him at his conversion? You're going to go before kings. Now listen to 24, 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. And he sent forth Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, look, hey, we need somebody to get before our politicians and say this. And as he reasoned about righteousness... Oh, wow. Righteousness with politicians, huh? How about this one? And self-control. How about this one? And coming judgment. All politicians, no matter your stripe, need to hear this, right? Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Just think of the strength of this particular text. Imagine talking to a politician about righteousness. But, But this is what's amazing in this particular text is he speaking to him about faith in Christ Jesus. He's not going up before Felix and saying, release me, release me. No, folks, he even takes that situation and turns it for an opportunity to accomplish what God Almighty had called him to accomplish. And that's to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Again, this is the stewardship that God had given him. 25.9, listen to this. But Festus, now he's before Festus, Wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and I've committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered to Caesar, you have appealed. To Caesar you will go. And listen to verse 32 at the end of chapter 30 of 26. Y'all listening? If you hadn't listened to any of them, listen to this one. Chapter 26, verse 32. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free. If he had not appealed to Caesar. Do y'all know what Paul has in his mind? This is called divine concurrence. In other words, here is a human decision that is meshing with divine sovereignty. Here is human decision and divine sovereignty working itself out. Why? Because Jesus told Paul, you are going to Rome. You will go before Caesar. And Paul, in his human decision, is doing everything in obedience to the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because what he was doing was more important than anything else in life. Now check this out. Y'all listening? This text doesn't say he was a prisoner of Rome. It doesn't say he's a prisoner of Nero. It doesn't say he's a prisoner of any governmental official. It says he is a prisoner of Christ the Lord. Are y'all getting this? The real chains were chains of devotion to the one who saved his life. The real chains was the fact that he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, those physical chains meant absolutely nothing. Why? Because he knew 
that it wasn't any man that could have authority over him. Why? Because his God had all authority. All authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. He knew full well that he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did he become a prisoner? The day God Almighty knocked him off his horse onto his backside. Y'all read that, didn't you? Acts chapter 9. Paul was picking up the letters to go up to Damascus to rip children away from their moms and dad and have their parents executed for Christianity. That was what he was going to do. And God Almighty had a different plan. He had an administrative plan to work from the foundation of the world. And he knocks Paul off his horse, puts him on his backside, and Paul is blind. And Paul just says this, who are you, Lord? Paul knew who it was. He knew. And Jesus said, Jesus, the very one you're persecuting. Now, folks, I thought this was an anti-Christian movement that Paul was in, involved in. But in reality, in reality, the persecution is never against the people of God. It is against the Christ of the people. Right? And so, just think about this for a moment. I'm, I'm glad Paul didn't give in to the wealth and health, health and wealth gospel. God knocks him off his horse and says, it's your best life now. Right? You, you're going to be wealthy and healthy as a Christian. You're going to be prosperous from now on for the rest of your life. Folks, that's not what... Are y'all listening? Jesus said you're going to be beaten. You're going to be stoned. And I know you are 21st century. You, you are people. We are people who have no idea of what it means to suffer. Just get in a boat and go to China. You, we have no idea what's happening to Christians in Afghanistan as I'm preaching this sermon. They're dying because of Jesus Christ. They're prisoners of Christ and they're dying for the gospel. Every single day. Right? We have no idea. But here is Paul. You're going to be beaten, arrested, stoned, and left for dead. You're going to stand before the most powerful rulers in all the world on my behalf. Paul saw himself, his body, his soul as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw himself as a house manager of a sovereign plan of grace that goes to the ends of the earth. And it is invincible. God will see to it. Philippians 1.29 says that we've not only been granted to believe by grace, by Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Folks, do you hear the word? You've been graciously gifted not only to believe, but also to suffer. And I know, I get it. We're in America. We're the land of the free. But if you put your faith on the line, you're going to find your faith under fire. If you're willing to do as Paul did, you will. All right, last thing. This is going to be conclusion. This stewardship was given for the sake of others. Y'all see it in the text? For you Gentiles, at the end of verse 2, God's grace that was given to me for you. And think about this. Why would Paul say that? Because I think Paul stands for us as a model of real stewardship. Can we live up to this? <sighs> By the grace of God. But what a model. Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So this was for others. And he could say to everyone, remember my chains. By the way, do y'all know what he wrote 
when he was in prison. I had to skip this for time. But he ends up in Rome in prison. And he stays in prison for two years. When he gets to Rome, he finds out there's no, there's no formal charges. So they stick him into his own room under house arrest. And he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. You think that was an accident? Yeah, it was just a huge accident, right? Absolutely not. And that's gifted to us because of God's administrative plan. So he, he says, remember my chains. Remember my sufferings. But he also used this as a way of encouragement for boldness. Listen, folks. We need to be encouraged to be bold today. We've lost our edge. Very few of us would put ourselves in the category of someone who is bold to explain and proclaim the gospel to others. You're welcome. If you want to crawl under the pew, go ahead. I've tried. You can make it. Right? Yes, very few of us could, could say that our lives are in such a way. We get so tied up with everything else in life. And we forget the number one mission God has called us to, to have as believers. So, Paul emboldened and encouraged people for the gospel no matter what the cost was. And that's true for us today. Do you know who, the most, do you know who is arrested in China more than anybody else? Pastors. Why? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will... Yeah, that's true. But when believers scatter, they don't stop sharing the gospel. How do you think the gospel got here? It got here because of the Macedonian call. It got here because of persecution. So Paul's legacy lives on today in the persecuted church. Uh, I got a couple of questions and I'm done. Do you believe that God can use you no matter your situation? Folks, I could go on for hours talking about the situation Paul was in, and yet God told him what he was going to do. Paul believed it, and Paul obeyed. And he was in a situation we could never imagine that he was in, and yet he was faithful to accomplish the purpose. And here's the other question. Are you a faithful steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're a house manager. If you're saved, you've got an administrative task and, and everybody's not going to get on a plane. Everybody's not going to... No one else is going to be called as an apostle. I can tell you that now. But you, if you're saved, you have a responsibility before God of proclaiming and explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of this earth. All God's people said? Amen. All right. To God be the glory. Let's take a, just a few seconds for an invitation. If the Lord God Almighty is working in your heart... It's not going to take but a second, right? You respond to the Lord. Maybe there's a lost friend that you're praying God will give you boldness to speak to. Maybe you're lost today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. You've been churchy. You've gone to church, but church doesn't mean salvation. Jesus Christ saves you, and then you become a part of the church, right? Let's sing together. Let's sing what love could remember. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, we count not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. They are many, His mercy is more. Maybe you believe today, 
Lord, there's no way you could save someone like me. Listen clearly. If Paul, if God could save Paul, he can save you. If God can save Paul, he can save you. Amen? Amen. Listen, one more verse. What patience, what weight as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. The Bible says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Be seated just for a moment. Hey, listen, we're going to pass the plates if our ushers will make their way up here or get ready from back there. Uh, we said when we were doing our renovation process that we didn't want to borrow any money, right? So we're doing this offering uh, to see what the people of the Lord will give and accomplish this purpose. Listen, i got to share this with you before we take up this offering. There were a few people, very few, that gave before today particularly for this offering, all right? With those given, right now, we need $194,000 is what we said, $78,000 before we ever take up this offering. I'm telling you, folks, God alone deserves the praise for that. Amen. I mean, that's amazing. I, I don't think I've ever been, I, I, I cannot remember ever in the history of my life hearing that. With that few people. Unbelievable. And I think God is working in the life of this church. And that's my thing. If you read that letter, it's not about an offering. It's about the health of a body. It's about the health of a church. And praise be to Jesus that this is becoming a healthy, obedient church of the living God. So I tell you that before you give. Listen, I'm just telling you, this is the way it's going to be. If you put money in this plate, it's going to go to the remodel. Are y'all listening? All right. So, and, and we know that tithes are separate from an offering for this particular thing. But please make sure you put it in that envelope. Or if you just throw in cash, just understand that that's not for the general fund. It's for the remodel. Okay? Everybody on board? And tonight, Lord willing, we'll announce uh, what that offering was thanks to our counting committee. Okay? All right. Let's pray. God, would you bless? Multiply. Father, we know that every perfect gift comes from you. We know that the indescribable gift to us is Jesus Christ. He's the model of our giving. God, help us to give our whole selves to you. And that means our finances, Lord. And we thank you for just your grace and mercy in our church. And we pray this offering will bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you all for being here today. Hope to see you tonight. Lord's Supper, six o'clock.